Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. We are still in the Minor Prophets, and we're, gonna, we're starting the second half. Um, we've got six more, including today. And it's been both super encouraging and very challenging to spend this time in these Minor Prophets. It's, it's been encouraging because all of them have continued to point to this hope that we have it's been challenging because so much of what we uh, know about, to be honest, we, we know little about the Bible. We know little about, we can't, many of us can't place Habakkuk in its context. Or we know of Jonah, but we don't really press into um, how Jonah, like Jonah's personal response to being called. We know about the, some of the details, but we don't have the whole story. Which is one of the reasons why we're spending this time in the Minor Prophets. What we want is the whole story of who God is and what he's done and how he has saved. Because if we don't have all of the Old Testament, all of the prophets, all of the the narrative of God's grace in bringing the people of God out of Egypt, the stories of wars and famines, we don't get the whole picture. And we want the whole picture of Jesus. That's our desire, that we would truly know who God is and know what he's done. This morning we're looking at Habakkuk, and in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. Um, If you know me, you know that I have uh, kind of an outgoing personality. I like to make friends. Um, Somebody said the other day that I don't know any strangers, just people I haven't met yet, friends I haven't met yet. Um, And I'm thankful that that's a gift. But what that's done is that's created this incredible picture of God for me. Because one of the truths that we believe is that humanity was created in the image of God. And as we get to know more and more people and see more and more people, we begin to get a clearer picture of who God is. The other gift that that's given me is is I get to see many, many ways that people live by faith. You see, I have a friend who trusts God for the salvation of his daughter, though there is little evidence of change in her life. It's one of my friends. We're talking about what does it look like? What does it mean to live by faith? I have a friend whose faith has led him to work in the same job for over a decade, sharing the gospel faithfully in that context and finding joy and fulfillment there. I have two family friends, two friends that are families that have moved and followed God faithfully, moving their whole families, large families, across thousands of miles and into very different cultures for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. I have a friend who goes to school each day trusting that God 
will open his eyes to the broken and the hurting so that he can share Jesus, the one who mends the broken and heals the hurting. I have a friend who has prayed faith-filled prayers for her boys each morning for over 40 years that they would know and love Jesus. I have a friend that longs for a husband and yet waits patiently on the Lord to provide everything that she needs for fullness of life and joy. These are some of the examples that God in his grace and kindness has shown me of what does it look like to walk by faith. And we don't hold these up and say, hey, this is how you should do it. It's not prescriptive. It is simply descriptive of what it means that a heart would grab, so, grab hold so much of the goodness of God that they would live out that faith. All of these things point to a God who is moving and a God who is working. It's not the people that are the miracle. It's the God who is doing this. That is the beautiful one. They live by faith, and while their circumstances are different, and their on-the-ground desires are various, they all have one hope, one person in whom they put their trust, their dependence, their joy. It's in Jesus. I love Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is quoting Habakkuk, saying, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel takes hold, and and we can't go out and do this ourselves. It has to be the work that God does, and then we go out and we get to participate in that work. So let's ask God this morning. For some of us, the ask is, God, would you give me just some inkling of faith for the very first time? If you're real and and everything that, that these people say you are is true, will you make my heart believe and trust and have faith in you? But even if you've set through thousands of sermons and gathered thousands of times with Christians, our prayer is still the same. Lord, would you increase my faith? Would you help me to live it out in a way that gives you glory and honor and gives me joy? And so let's ask God to do that this morning. God, we thank you that throughout the world, your good news is being proclaimed. Your good news is being proclaimed and then it's being applied to lives and then it's being uh, walked in active obedience by those who would love you with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and you are getting all of the glory and all of the praise and today we get to participate in that. Lord, I thank you that you're glorious. I thank you that you're mighty to save. I thank you that we can trust you for our salvation I pray that today we would do that. God, I pray for those that are weary today. Would you not change circumstances, but give them you, Lord. And if the, if the circumstances change, then great. But Lord, if we would just have you, you are enough. I pray for us as weary As sinners, Lord, that we would remember that our sin has been paid for on the cross, that you bore it, and we don't have to walk in it anymore, but you've given us your righteousness, Lord. Would we do that today?
God, I pray that as your word is proclaimed at Pineda and here in the Cape, Lord, that, that Brevard County would be changed. As there's other faithful proclaimers of this good news throughout our county, Lord, I pray that you would stir a revival. God, would you revive our hearts for you? Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be limited to a county or a state or a country, Lord, but your, your proclamation would go throughout the world, Lord, that there's unreached people groups that some of us in here may end up going to to share this good news, Lord. Would you do that? We thank you, Lord, that we get to see a glimpse of your glory today. Thank you even for the sun rising as we're singing the song, Rising Sun, and being able to see that as a display of your glory and your creative power. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear today and eyes to see that we would know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we're talking about um, these minor prophets, we're remembering that the the minor prophets and, and all of the prophets, major and minor, would come and they would be proclaimers and reminders of who God is to a people. We had this definition that they would go before the people on behalf of God and remind them of their obligations as God's covenant people, their call to faithful obedience to the law of God. Jeremiah described what a prophet is in Jeremiah 7.23. He says, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. See, these, these prophets were proclaimers of who God was. Over and over and over, reminding the people of the character and the beauty, reminding them of circumstances too, that, that you were captives, you were taken into, into Egypt, and God came and rescued you. And now He's made you His holy people, but you have, he, he, and He's given you His law of what it looks like to worship Him, but you've worshiped other idols, you've run other places. Habakkuk is. Uh, just like the rest of the prophets in that. He's reminding them of who God is. But the way that he does it is interesting because really what we have in Habakkuk is we have a, a conversation that's taking place between the prophet and God. And so it's interesting. He's, he's not proclaiming necessarily to the people, but it's going to be recorded for the people. And so Habakkuk begins with a complaint. Verse 2 of chapter 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. It's how he opens this dialogue with God. God, what are you doing? How long will we need to cry for help? How long are we going to watch the, the evil prosper? How long do we watch this righteousness not go forth? Or if it does go forth, it's, it goes forth perverted and changed and not even righteousness anymore. Habakkuk complains to the Lord, and then the Lord answers him. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Okay, so context. We talked about um, Jonah last week. Before that, we talked about Nahum. We talked a little bit out of order, but... The idea that, that, that um, Habakkuk is from Judah, and during many scholars think that it was written around 620, which would put it a little bit after, jo- uh, after Nahum, and so Judah is surrounded by the Assyrian army. And not only have they been sur- surrounded for a long time, almost 100 years, but they are beginning to assimilate to the culture around them. They're beginning to worship the gods of the Assyrians and the decline of Jerusalem is, has begun. And so what is God's promise in the midst of a people that are being persecuted? It's a promise of salvation. If you, if you read it with me, he says that in verse 6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. The Chaldeans were also the Babylonians. And so God's promise of deliverance from Assyria is actually another nation that's going to come in and that's going to give them the justice that they deserve. But that may not be the circumstances that the people of God are hoping for. That hits home for some of us. We've asked God for things. And when he moves, he actually moves in a way that we don't like that either. And so the the call this morning is not to rest in the circumstances, but in the God who would save, the God who would deliver. And what we have sitting this side of another 3,000 years is we get to see that God actually did go and he did deliver the people of Israel. He sent them into exile, which didn't feel like deliverance at the time, and then he brought them back. And he brought them back, and then he sent his son, the Messiah, the Savior, who would come and deliver them, not just from a physical oppression, not just from a circumstantial oppression, but from death and sin and deliver them into righteousness. These are the circumstances that we find in Habakkuk. And you say, well, what does that mean for the righteous living by faith? How does that, how do we get to there? Well, in chapter, or in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 1, we see Habakkuk Respond to God's, um, God's word that he's going to save. And he replies with this, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. 
O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? The beginning of this, Habakkuk takes his eyes off of the circumstances and remembers who God is. And as he remembers who God is, he remembers the qualities and the the character traits, the attributes of God. He remembers that God is everlasting. He remembers that God is holy. He remembers that God is a just judge. He remembers that God is eternal. And he remembers that God is righteous in those verses. What we need is not to look at circumstances, but we need to look at God. As we look at God, all of the circumstances begin to pale in comparison to who He is in His faithfulness and His righteousness and His glory and His beauty. But we get so wrapped up in the daily grind of life that we miss out. We forget. And so we need to be reminded, just as as Habakkuk is reminding himself, he's preaching this gospel to himself, Who is God? God is everlasting. God is holy. God is just. He's eternal and He's righteous. In verse 14, he says that He's the Creator. There's some practical application there. Because if we don't tell ourselves these things, if we're not meditating on these things, if we're not going to God's Word and remembering, if we're not telling each other these things, we will forget Daily, hourly, minutely. We need to be reminded of who God is. We need to remember not the circumstances that God has provided, but His character and His attributes. So the first call is to trust in God's character. Secondly, we need to remember God's promise of deliverance. If you jump down to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The Lord answered me, so this is God speaking to Habakkuk, and he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. God is promising that his plan is going to come to fruition. It's not going to delay on God's time, even as it feels like it's delayed on our time. But we are finite men. We we are finite humans. We don't understand the grand story and the grand scheme of what God is doing, even in our own lives. We don't understand how He's using our suffering and our brokenness to produce in us a dependence and a trust that would then speak to those around us. It's not even for us often. It's for those around us. But do we we have this broader picture of what God is doing where we wait and trust that His timing is perfect? It might seem slow. Wait for it. I love that in verse 3. If it seems slow, wait for it. We have a God who is faithful. His deliverance is not always through the means you expected. These, the, the, the people of Judah are going to be delivered from the Assyrians by the Babylonians who conquer. 
And sometimes his deliverance looks like suffering. When I get to questions that I have similar to what Habakkuk is asking, God, where are you and what are you doing? I go to this verse in Isaiah that gives me this hope. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's, a, that's an incredible gift to us. That God has given the idea that what you can see is only a little bit. What you feel is only a little bit. What you're experiencing is only a part of the story. But my ways and my thoughts and who I am is so much greater than who you are. And so you don't have to live and rest in what you can see. You get to live and rest in me. The God of the universe. The God who spoke and it became a reality. The God who is saved by sending himself, his son, to die for us. The prophets always seem to be reminding humanity that there is no one like our God. There is no one like Yahweh. He is faithful and true. What I love about Habakkuk is how he preaches the gospel to himself. He remembers who God is and what he has done and he reminds the people around him of those same things. That's the people we want to be. Desperately. Not just want to be, that's the people we have to be because we're going to walk through things that are, that are suffering, that are painful, and we have to be able to remember who God is and what he has done and we need to be able to remind each other of that. We, like Habakkuk, are called to faith in a God and who God is and what he has accomplished. But Habakkuk only had a portion of the story. He, he was able to look back and say, hey, remember how we were exiled and how we were captured and enslaved in Egypt and God came and he did a mighty work and he brought the plagues, remember? And how the, even, listen, the people of God suffered through the plagues. We think that that they weren't suffering, but they were suffering through the same plagues that God was using to free them and to deliver them. The plague that they didn't suffer from is if they walked by faith, they put the blood of the lamb over their doorstep, and their firstborn did not perish because of the innocent blood that was slain for them. But the rest of the Sure looks like they suffered through that. But deliverance was on the other side of that. But Habakkuk looks back and he says, listen, remember who God is and what he's done. And so the difference is we have, like Jesus came. Jesus came and did a thing that you and I could not do. He died for us. We, like we sang already, we're all sinners. We all sit under the condemnation, the judgment that we rightfully deserve. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve a good life. We don't deserve any of those things. We have wronged God. From the greatest to the least, from the oldest to the youngest, all of us, we're dead in our sins. And so we look back and we see, and Jesus came. 
And he was completely obedient to the law. Perfect righteousness. And I'm not talking like the law that says um, you get good grades in school. I'm talking about a whole law. Let, keep, it, keep it in that realm. I'm talking about not only do you get good grades in school, but you're the nicest person anybody has ever met. You're the most successful person anybody has ever met. You're the most humble person. Like, that's Jesus. He didn't just obey the law. He was God incarnate and met people in their needs perfectly. We saw that through a year and a half in Mark. What a gift to know this Jesus who went to the lost and the broken, brought them in, gave them something that they couldn't find in themselves. This is the, the fullness of the story that we have. And today, you and I have the same promise that Habakkuk had. That through faith, we are both rescued and reconciled to a holy God. How do we take hold of that good news? How do we take hold of that truth? We do it by living in faith. Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright, but the righteous shall live by his faith. I love that Habakkuk questions God's timing because what we're given is is words to our circumstances, words to our doubt, words that we can say with him. But ultimately, our trust comes in a God whose timing is perfect. Romans says that God's timing was was perfect. Romans 5, 6 through 8, for while we were still weak at the right time, At the perfect time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the timing is perfect because if we were anything but sinners, when Christ died for us, there would be something else that we would have to bring to the table to receive the mercy of God. But God's timing was perfect. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that you or I can or need to do to add to what Christ has done. It's not a Christ died for you and now you need to uh, be perfect on top of that. Like before... You know, you weren't perfect, and so that's forgiven because Christ died for you, but now you need to go and be perfect. No, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of grace and what that means. But do we believe it? Do we actually believe that Christ died for us? Do we actually believe that Christ died for our neighbor? Or do we hold them accountable for it? Instead of trusting that God has done that, if they are in Christ. Habakkuk says, trust in God's character. He says, remember God's promise of deliverance, and we get to see how has God delivered. He's done it by sending his son. And finally, Habakkuk remembers and and calls those around him to walk by faith, have faith in God's salvation. As we look at the passage we read, 
But we want to go up to chapter 3.13. I want to just give you this in context. He says, so you went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly, quietly wait for the, the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. One of the gifts that we've been given is um, a lot of you are young men in high school or, or middle school. And you have a desire like the rest of us, but maybe it's a little more heightened, to, to see justice take place. Like there's movies that we, we watch where the good guy comes in and he defeats the bad guys. And sometimes it's a little brutal. Sometimes it, it's devastating. But ultimately, that's what we want. We want justice. We want the bad guy to lose. We want the good guy to win. I just think about Braveheart, I don't, and, and I'm not saying that anybody should go and watch that movie because there's some stuff in it that's a, you know, probably not appropriate for everyone, but there's this beauty in it where he comes and, 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 a, and a mighty warrior. And that's what we all want. We all want a mighty warrior who would come and destroy the bad guys. And we want him to be on our side. I have good news today. You have a mighty warrior who's going to come and he's going to vanquish evil. Like, yes, the Babylonians are coming and they're going to destroy the Assyrians. And we're all for that. But the Babylonians are bad. They're going to take the people of Israel, they're going to send them into exile, and they're going to be gone for years with no home, no people, it's going to be tough. Like, it's going to be really hard. But what we want is a, is a God, a, a warrior who would come and who would save, and then he would make everything right. And we have it. We have it. Look at this with me. We have a promise from deliverance, not just of, of spiritual death and of sin. We have a promise of deliverance from circumstances too. Revelation 21. This is the end of the story. This is the end of the story that would cause us to say, listen, when everything else goes away, just like Habakkuk saying in 17 and 18, he's saying, listen, everything's destroyed. Yet will I hope in the Lord. As we look around and we see things going downhill fast, we have the same hope. And a God who will come and who will, the warrior king who's going to set everything right. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is the warrior king 
coming and defeating death and brokenness and all of the circumstances that you and I battle, and he's going to make everything right. There will be no more crying, no more pain. Some of you are pretty open with your pain. Some of you hide that pain. You don't want anybody to know about it, but it's painful, and there's brokenness, and there's crying. But I I have good news. I have a hope for you today. There's going to come a day when there will be no more crying, and no more pain, and no more brokenness, because the king will return. The king who's already come. The one that we saw come in might and in power. The one who defeated sin and death at the cross, who gave himself for us. He's going to come again. When he comes again, he's going to defeat sin and death. But how do we take hold of that promise? Like, how do we, how do we know? If I look around and I see all the brokenness, that, that doesn't lead me in a logical conclusion to say, but one day it's going to get better. So how do we take hold of this? We take hold of this by faith. The same way that Habakkuk takes hold of the hope that he has that the Assyrians are going to go away and even the Babylonians are going to go away and one day he's going to be restored and whole. He takes hold of this promise by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 But the righteous shall live by his faith. There's no one righteous except for Jesus. No one. But if you and I are in Christ, then now we have His righteousness. And we get to walk in the same way that He walked by faith. Think about it. Maybe you don't know, because maybe you haven't been here, but Jesus, as He walked in life, He would go and submit to the Father. He even taught us to pray. He said that not our will would be done, but but God's will would be done. And then that wasn't just a a thing that he told us to do. He actually prayed that same thing. Remember in the garden? When he goes and he says, listen, the circumstances are horrible. This is horrible. Everyone has left me. If there's any other way that we can do this, let's do it. But not my will, but your will be done. And he submits to the Father and he walks in perfect righteousness, living by faith. And so today, if you and I are in Christ, That righteousness has been accounted to us and we too get to take hold of it and live by faith. And summarizing Habakkuk, the ESV study Bible says this, Habakkuk saw the rapid progress, the rapid progress of Judah's moral and spiritual deterioration and this deeply troubled him. Yet God's response puzzled him even more. For how could a good and just God use a more wicked nation to punish a less wicked one? God makes it clear that both nations are to be judged and appropriately punished for their evil acts. Although Habakkuk may not fully understand, he has learned to rely totally on the wisdom and justice of God to bring about the proper solution in ways he could never have imagined. That's our hope. Will we trust God? That even if if we can't imagine them, even if the circumstances look like They're not getting better, even if it doesn't seem like there's hope that we would trust God and His character and who He is and His promises today. 
And so today the call is to repent. The same call that it is every week. Like what have you trusted in this week? What circumstances have you trusted in your eyes? Have you trusted in what you can see rather than what God says is true? Have you trusted in your emotions? Like in a time and day and age where we put a lot of stock in our emotions, and rightfully so, we are, we are created in the image of God, we are emotional people, but are we letting our emotions lead us and guide us rather than the truth of God's word? Like all of these things can lead us astray, and yet God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. His promises are just as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. Do we rest in that? And if not, then we need to repent. God, forgive me for trusting in only what I can see. Forgive my waning faith where, where I begin to doubt and then just continue to spiral instead of running to your word and saying, but what's true? Forgive me for hearing other people say things and not speaking truth. Like, that's another place where I think we can grow. And repentance isn't like, isn't a bad thing. It's the kindness of God that leads us to a place of repentance. And we get to say, God, I was, I was trusting in me and I want to trust in you. I want to believe in you. So today we need to trust in the truth of the gospel. Believe that the righteousness of Christ dwells in you if you are in him. And then we need to walk in his ways, bringing deliverance and hope through your life, through our lives, by the power of the Spirit. We began with some, some ways that we've seen this faith lived out. But there's so many more ways that we get to live out this faith. And we get to do it together. We get to encourage one another. We get to see it being lived out in one another and be, man, look at what God is doing. Look at his grace and his kindness that, that he would change your heart and you would actually desire him. Look how he saved your kids. Look how he saved your neighbor. Behold our God. Look and see. Today we have an opportunity. Like, like we get to go and have a picnic. And listen, our, our faith isn't that the food's going to be the best and people are going to come to it and be like, man, that's really good food. Our faith is that they're going to see and hear of a good God. A God that they've longed for. A God who says that, that the crying and the brokenness that they've experienced in private, one day he's going to wipe it away. And they're going to get the satisfaction of knowing him and experiencing him, and seeing his glory. But we can't just say, well, I sure hope people see it. I sure hope that people would hear about Jesus. Like, What is the, what is the mechanism that they're going to hear about Jesus? They're going to hear about Jesus through his church, through us, those who have heard, those who get to share. And so today we get to walk in some faith-filled obedience. Maybe you're going to school. What does it look like to live by faith in school? What does it look like to live by faith in your daily walk at work? What does it look like to live by faith in raising children? Like all of these things. Like it's actual life. It's not a, a portion where we say, okay, this is my faith time when I go to church or when I go to community group or when I'm having my quiet time. No, all of it. Live by faith. That's all of life, where we live, work, play, 
We get to honor God in everything that we say and do. I pray that God would make us that people. It's going to take a miracle for us to be that people. The good news is that the miracle has been promised. He's doing the work. So let's ask him. God, do it more. Do it for the first time. Do it for the millionth time. Will you be faithful? God, we thank you that today we get to pray as Habakkuk prayed. We get to bring doubts. We get to bring fears. We get to bring um, questions of timing and faithfulness, Lord, and we get to lay them at your feet and say, God, but you are good. I know that you're faithful. I've seen your character displayed in the Bible. I've seen your faithfulness displayed in my life. I've seen it in the lives of others. So help me not to trust in circumstances or emotions or thoughts. Not to trust in my own physical um, feelings and sensations, but to trust in you. And that that trust would work its way into my life. That I would live by faith in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, would you do that in us today? We thank you that even as we pray, you have already done it. You have sent your son, died on a cross for sins, to pay for sins that we could not pay for, walked perfect righteousness that we could not walk, and at the cross, He took our sin and our shame and gave us his righteousness and rose again, defeating sin and death, giving us life. Lord, may we walk in that life today by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.